God, as we turn our attention to your written word, I pray that you would speak to our hearts from it. I pray that uh, you would help us to receive exactly what we need to hear. You know our hearts, you know exactly what's going on in our lives, and you know what occupies our minds and thoughts today. And so we invite your Holy Spirit to be welcome to speak to us exactly as we need to hear it. And may we leave here today being changed into the image of Jesus Christ. It is in his name and for his glory, honor, and praise that I pray. Amen and amen. Take your seat and take your Bibles and open up with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. I thought with uh, just the events of the past couple of days that it might do us well this morning as a family of faith to step outside of our Chasing the Crown series. We'll resume that chase next week, Lord willing, as we think through some things on there. But I, I want to spend a few minutes sharing with you this morning simply on the idea of hope. The idea of hope that we find from Romans chapter 8. Of course, hope is spread throughout all the Scripture. Hope is there uh, in every page of Scripture, even in some of the, the darkest passages of Scripture. We will see an image. We'll see a glimmer of hope. But as I have stepped back and, and looked at my life, and as I look at the conversations that, that we have in various contexts in church life, especially over these, these last six months in my own personal life, I've been drawn to Romans chapter 8, I have I, I found hope in the words that the Apostle Paul has spoken. Because the reality of the situation is this, there are certain things that are absolutely guaranteed for us to experience in life, and some of those are good times, but some of those are difficult times. And even the strongest of faiths can go through seasons of life in which we ask ourselves, when will this season end? Where is the hope in this trial or in this suffering? When will all of this that we're facing in this world, when will it go away? And I've found at least in my own life and my own walk that when I walk through those valleys and I go through those struggles, there are many things that I need from the Lord and He's faithful to supply all of them, but at the top of that list, more than anything else outside the presence of God himself that I need in the midst of my struggles, in the midst of my valleys, is hope. I need to know that there is hope. I need to cling to hope. I need to anchor my life in this idea of hope. And so the big question that I want us to think about today is what is our hope? What is our hope? Whether we're up on top of the mountain or whether we're down in the valley, what is our hope, especially in those times in which there seems to not be hope, in which there seems to not be promise, in which there seems to not be sunshine on those cloudy days? How do we have this hope? And the answer, I believe, is found again throughout all Scripture 
Scripture, but especially in our text from Romans chapter 8. We're going to approach this text differently. There's not much teaching that is required. There are not many commands, if any, that we need to obey. This is one of those texts that God gives us simply for us to receive and to believe. And in the act of believing what is received, we find our hearts bolstered with faith and we find our hearts filled with hope. Now, before we look at the text, it's important to understand what Paul is leading up to in the book of Romans as we get to chapter 8. He has built a case all throughout this book to let us know that we have security in a relationship with Christ. He wants us to know what it is that validates the reality that we belong to God and that God belongs to us. In fact, before we we look at the specific text that I have for us to focus upon this morning, I want us to back up one verse in Romans chapter 8, and you'll have to rely on your Bible, not the screen for this one, but back in Romans chapter 8 and verse 17, Paul tells us that if we are children of God, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with him. An heir, as we think about it in our minds, an heir is a child who will one day, it's not a child who has already, it's a child who will one day receive everything the parents have. That child does not receive everything. He or she may receive some things, but to be an heir means that you one day in the future will receive everything that the parents have. And notice that Paul tells us in Romans 8, 17, that we are heirs of God. We're not heirs of streets of gold. We're not heirs of pearly gates. We're not heirs of immortal bodies. We are heirs of God. The most important thing that you get from a relationship with God is God. The most valuable thing you have in a relationship with God is God himself. And we're fellow heirs with Christ. So that whatever is true of Christ is true of us. Whatever Christ receives as an inheritance that one day will be true. Whatever he receives from the Father one day in the future will be ours. Our inheritance is what we're going to get. And right now, as the people of God, we wait for it and that becomes ours our hope. But in between now and in between the time in which we receive that inheritance, Paul says we have something else that we share with Jesus, and that is suffering. Listen, the cross must be endured before the crown is received. The life of Jesus teaches us that before there is that crown of life for eternity, before he could receive that crown, he had to endure that cross. 
So it is appointed then that we, like Christ, will suffer in this life, but it is the hope of what is to come that enables us to hold on. What is to come? Look at verse 18. Paul said, For I considered that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Paul is saying, don't miss this, he's saying, whatever you are going through, as painful as it might be, as horrific as it might seem, as hopeless as it might appear, a day is coming. It's not here yet, but a day is coming in which your deepest pain on this earth will not even come close to, compa- to comparing to the deep glory that you will receive. So what is this glory that we're going to receive? <clears throat> what is Jesus bringing with him that is so glorious that we can fix our hope in it? What is it that will be our experience on that day that will make our deepest sufferings pale in comparison? Let me take you, and we'll have these verses on the screen, but let me take you for a couple of verses over to the book of of Revelation where, where John paints a picture for us of the glory of that day. In Revelation chapter 21, when all is said and done, John says this, that I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more and I saw the holy city new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of God is with man he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away on this day every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Let me ask you, where do most of our tears come from? Most of our tears come from the pain in which we experience, the suffering that we endure. And Paul says our hope is that there's a day coming when that suffering will be no more. Verse 5, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. He says, the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will bear, and he will be my son. Did you notice what John said Jesus will say on that last day? In verse 6, he said to me, it is done. The last time Jesus said it is done was when he was on the cross. He said, 
It is finished. It is done. And when he said it was done on the cross, he meant that there was no more separation between man and God. That was done. When he says it is done again, he will say it in the context of suffering. He will say these days of hurt, these days of trial, these days of adversity, these days are done. They are over. They will no longer be your experience. If you jump to Revelation chapter 22, the chapter opens by telling us this, then the angel showed me, John, the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I bet you didn't know there's a fruit of the month club in eternity, did you? But there it is. And notice that he said this comes from the tree of life. The last time the tree of life was seen in Scripture is all the way back in Genesis where God says, if you eat of this tree of life, you will live forever. And by living forever and by enjoying that eternity, you will not have any suffering. Everything will be perfect. And here this tree appears again. It reminds us that this day of glory will be Eden-like prior to sin when suffering did not exist. He says in verse 3, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Jesus was speaking to Paul to let him, or to John to let him know there's a day coming that is much better than anything we will experience on this earth. This kind of existence will last for eternity. What a glorious day is on its way. And church, may I say to you, the cross may be right now, but hold on, the crowd's coming. The cross may be endured right now, but the crown is on its way. Back to what Paul said in Romans. And I promise we're not going to do this for every verse. Romans 8, 19. For the creation waits with either eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The glory of this day is so great, it's so wonderful that the physical creation around us is longing for it. He makes a statement in that verse that creation is long with eager longing. That's an interesting phrase in the Greek. It means to turn the head away. And the idea behind that phrase, eager longing, is that you're walking down the road and something passes you that so captivates your attention that when it passes you, you have to turn and look and to gaze and to be captivated by what it was that came by and got your attention. And what Paul is saying is that the 
personified eyes of creation are constantly looking away from current circumstances. They're constantly looking up toward the sky. Creation itself is waiting for that sky to crack open and for Jesus to come with the sons of God to make all things new. So he says in Romans 8.20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation itself longs for this day, not just us, but creation. Because you see, everything changed in Genesis. God gave us something perfect and we messed it up. Even creation itself, Genesis 3 tells us that the ground was cursed because of sin. But creation, if you notice what he said in verse 20, that even in a state of suffering, creation was also subjected to hope in the midst of the curse all around it. Creation believed that there was hope. Creation, that day in Genesis where that creation was cursed, creation also heard the promise of Genesis 3.15 that God would send someone to crush the head of the enemy who causes all of our suffering. Creation had hope that someone would come to deliver them. A day is coming in which the very brokenness of the world in which we live will be wiped away. So that's why he says in verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Paul says in the meantime, while creation is waiting for this deliverance, while it waits for this glorious day, he likens the situation of this earth to a woman in childbirth. Only it's not nine months of waiting. It's thousands of years of groaning. You see, in labor and delivery, and you ladies know this to be true. You experience pain, you experience discomfort, but you also experience hope. And the reason that you have hope as you have pain, the reason that you have hope as you go through those moments of suffering is because you know that you are waiting for new life at the end of pain. Though it's painful now, she endures because she knows that life arrives after her suffering is complete. This is the pattern of creation, but it's also the pattern of us, as he says in verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan eagerly as we wait e inwardly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Like creation, we long for this glorious day to arrive. It is our hope. Did you notice the phrase he used there? The first fruits of the Spirit. That has to do with the Old Testament. The Old Testament, they had all these offerings that they offered, and one of the offerings was called the first fruit offering. Now, I know I'm about to astound you with all this knowledge that I paid a lot of money for a seminary to teach me. You ready? A first fruit offering 
It's the offering of fruit that was first. You're welcome. (laughs) When they would harvest it in, they would offer the first harvest to God, and they would ask God to bless what was to come. Because they knew that the first reception, the first receiving, those first fruits were were not the end. There was more to come. There was something more and larger and maybe even better that was to follow. Having the first fruits of the Spirit, which we have in relationship with Jesus, that means that yes, we have received salvation, but ladies and gentlemen, there is more to come. What we have experienced is not all that there is, and what we are is not all that we will be. We are first fruits, but more is on the way. It's that the problem is getting from this day to that day. That's where the struggle comes in. And that's why Paul says, while we wait for that day, we groan inwardly. We wonder, when will this day arrive? And that's where hope comes into it. Because as believers, we wait in hope, awaiting our Father's arrival to take us home. And it's this hope, he says in verse 24. For in this hope, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? I want you to hear me very clearly. When we're, when I, the, the hope I'm talking to you about is not the hope that the world offers you. You see, the way that the world looks at hope, it's a cross your finger type of deal. Well, I hope this will happen. I hope, which if you've been hoping it'll rain, you can stop, please. I hope it'll do this. I hope it'll do that. I hope my kid will turn out right. I hope that I'll have enough money to pay the bills. I hope, I hope, I hope. Those are things in which we're crossing our fingers. And when we say hope, we're saying it might happen or it might not. But I'm crossing my fingers that it will. That's the world's hope. That is not biblical hope. That is not the hope that Paul is talking about. That is not the hope that Jesus gives us. In fact, biblical hope, there are no maybes. Biblical hope, there are no it might be. Biblical hope is an absolute guarantee. Biblical hope is our anticipation of the fulfillment of a promise of God. When we have biblical hope, there are no if, answer, buts, it might happen. Biblical hope means we are anchored in this reality. We believe with all of our heart that God will do what God said he will do. And that biblical hope anchors us. We can pursue persevere because of hope. We can endure because of hope, because the arrival of our King, the arrival of this glorious day when all tears are wiped away, when there's no more pain and no more heartache and no more sorrow, the arrival of that day, it's not that it might happen. It's not that it could happen. Ladies and gentlemen, it is on the way. And you can be as sure of that as you are the fact of anything else in your life. And so it causes us in verse 25 
to wait for it with patience. But if we hope for what is we do not see, we wait for it with patience. How many of you love to wait? <laughs> I mean, you're at a red light and you love waiting at that red light. Especially this one right up here. <clears throat> I mean, you just you go to a doctor and a doctor runs a test and the doctor says it'll be three days before you get your test results. No one loves waiting for that. And yet hope necessitates that we wait. For if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so because of the hope that we have, Paul tells us how we are to respond. And this morning our response is to be to persevere, to stay the course, to know that there are valleys that are coming, to know that hardships will be endured. But when those seasons come, whether they last hours or days or weeks or months or years or even a lifetime, we must set our eyes on the eastern sky. We must keep our head turned towards heaven in the midst of our suffering because I know that one day that sky is going to open up, a trumpet is going to sound, and everything is going to be made brand new. And when that day arrives, when my Lord returns, or when I meet him face to face, this day of suffering, these days of suffering, these weeks of suffering, these months of suffering, these years of suffering, even if you suffer every day of your life, when you compare it to eternity, when that day arrives, these days of suffering will be over forever. And we can persevere today because of what God's promised will happen in the future. There's coming a day when no heartache shall come. No more clouds in the sky. No more tears to dim the eye. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day. What a glorious day that's going to be. There's not going to be any sorrow there. There's not going to be any burdens to bear. No more sickness, no more pain. No more parting over there. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And when I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, and when he takes me by my hand, and leads me to that promised land. What a day. What a glorious day that's going to be. My friend, that day is coming. And that day gives me hope. It is a hope that will enable us to persevere during trials and adversity, but it's a hope that is available only to those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If I'm in this room today, 
and I don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I don't even want to think of what it would be like to have just one breath separate me from an eternity without Jesus. I literally, in my heart, shudder to think that some of you in this room are one heartbeat away from having to spend an eternity without Jesus. I'll be honest with you. I want to go to heaven, just not today. I'm looking forward to heaven. But there's a little bit of life I'd like to live as well. But the fact that I'm only one breath away from eternity, quite frankly, I'm okay with that. The fact that my heart could stop beating at any moment, I'm not really afraid if it does or not. As the Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to enjoy him, and to die is gain. I've already won. I don't stand to lose anything in my death. Oh, granted, hopefully people around me would be a little bit sad. But I don't stand to lose anything. Because Jesus paid everything. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, you don't have this hope. You need to be scared. You need to be worried. You need to realize that you are but one breath away from never having access to this hope. But you've got a breath right now. Use it to call out to God. That is all we sinners have to do is to look to God to confess our sins to ask him to be our Lord and Savior and if you've never done that in your life you can do that right where you are you can pray something along the lines of Lord Jesus I know that I'm a sinner I confess to you I agree with you God what you have said about my sin I believe that my sin has separated you from me but Jesus I believe that you came to this earth for me that you lived a perfect life you died my death and God raised you from the dead so I could have life so Lord today I desire to turn from my sin and turn to you I want to make you the boss in my life. I want you to be my Lord. Will you save me from my sin? Those aren't magic words. But if you pray something to that effect from your heart, as best you know how, Scripture teaches us that we, when we call out to God in faith, He saves us, He redeems us, and He gives us hope. If you've never done that, we invite you to do that today. If you've made that commitment, you have that hope. Sometimes that hope needs a little jump start. Sometimes that hope needs a little recharging. You'll not find it from a preacher. I promise you, you won't find it from this preacher. You won't find it from a church. But you will find it in Jesus. Would you look to him for your hope today? Would you bow with me this morning? I'm going to pray. 
after I pray, we're going to invite you to respond in whatever way God has placed upon your heart today. If that means that you need to come pray at this altar, you come pray at this altar. If God's laying upon your heart to, to sit and pray where you are, to stand and pray where you are while we sing, you do that. If God's laid it upon your heart that today you need to call out to Jesus for salvation, call out to him in prayer while everyone else is singing, you just pray to God right there where you are. Ask him to save you. If God has done anything else, if he's placing anything else upon your heart today, my only request is that you put your yes on the table to whatever it is that God is saying for he alone gives us hope and he alone guarantees our future Father God as we bow before you in this time we simply pray that you would have your will and way in our lives whatever need is here I pray that you would meet it Lord help us to leave here with hope that fills our heart. Have your way with us, in Jesus' name.